Hey there, podcast listeners. How would you like a free sponsorship on the show? We are giving away free sponsorships on the show where we will run a 20 to 30 second plug for your business. All you have to do to apply is go to mmsponsor.com. Welcome to Behind the Mic. This is a special episode. Well, we do these with some regularity, but it's me and Jeremy just talking behind the scenes on some interesting topics. Before we get rolling here, I want to invite you to go to ratehourpodcast.com. It's a way to give a rating to the show, also to subscribe. And it's really important, I hope, for both of us. One is you won't miss an episode if you, if you subscribe. If you rate, the word gets out. It helps share this podcast with other folks and it would really serve me. So thank you for considering that. Again, it's ratehourpodcast.com. So Jay bone uh, we were talking offline. It's not messy. You're in oh, your yeah. space. <laughs> no, it's bad, dude. You can't see like they had stuff blocked out, you know? Yeah. So anyone's listening just to the recording and you can't see the video. Jeremy had like one of those zoom green screen kind of steps behind him. And now he just activated to show his space, but it's not, it's not messy at all. At I least from this it's angle. It's not horrible. Yeah. You, you can't see in the background too much. So that's, yeah. that's the same as guitars on the wall. Yeah. So um, we were talking about some of the current news stuff. What, what was going on? Yeah. So uh, for, for everybody who, who doesn't, I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard of this, but I'll just go into a little explanation and how it's going to relate to, to what we're going to talk about today. So uh, in the last week, there's a group of people on Reddit in this sub forum called Wall Street Bets, and they talk about betting and you know where they're going to invest their money and all this stuff. Long story short, there was a group of hedge funds that had put a short out for certain stocks. One of the stocks was GameStop. So basically what, what the short does is they borrow a bunch of stocks from people, purchase them up, um, at the one price and then they short it and then when it drops then they keep a portion of the difference and sell the stock stocks back at a at a cheaper price mm -hmm. and that's how they make so you're betting it's going to go down correct so what this group did was they got together and they said all right these guys are shorting the stock let's buy up the stock and raise the price and then when it goes through the roof then they have to buy it back at the higher price and it's going to basically drain these these hedge funds and they were doing it for multiple reasons the irony is that um you know when the hedge funds do it every day it's okay for them to do it they're allowed to do it when yeah what they call it, arbitration or something or yeah. arbitrage I mean but then when a group of private citizens get together and do the same exact thing that the hedge funds do now all of a sudden it becomes a problem because they're the ones losing the money right right, uh, right. but how this ties into um to what we were talking about is uh, Popeyes had a genius marketing campaign. And uh, so a lot of these guys, they talk in code on there and they say, oh, tendies, tendies. Well, tendies is like when you actually sell a stock and you make the money off of it, then your, your profit, they call that tendies. So everybody wants tendies. So uh, Popeyes ran a uh, marketing campaign where they're like, uh, hey, tendies aren't just for the rich. Everybody gets tendies. And it was for their chicken tenders. <laughs> and so they're giving away chicken tenders. It was like chicken tender tendy Tuesdays or something like that. That's smart. And it was genius, right? And it reminded me of um well it made me think a different is better. Yeah. And then it also reminded me um when I went to the social media marketing conference last year, um, one of the biggest uh tips that I got was they said, find a way to incorporate pop culture into your yeah. marketing. Yeah. And that's ex it's, that's exactly what they did. And they they just timed it perfectly and it was just 
you know, and it blew up. And then all you see is all these news articles, oh, Popeye's tendies, Popeye's tendies. And it's, it's just all over the place. Yeah. I'll tell you, marketing that's newsworthy is the best marketing. Because even if it doesn't catch the news, it catches the eye of people because it's newsworthy. But then the news carries it forward. Didn't, was it Oreo? Remember there was a blackout at some I think with the World Series a few years back, like the stadium lost power or something. And then I thought it was Oreo cookies. I mean, did some kind of ad, when I say ad, on Twitter within like 20 minutes of that, um, it showed like almost like a, an Oreo cookie like was the eclipsing all the lights and caused the, the blackout. Oh, that's it's cool. Like, I don't remember that, but that's cool. It's something like, like sorry from Oreo and it exploded in popularity. I don't know if that's exactly it, but you're right that... I call it market momentum. Like if, if everyone's looking at something, how can you become part of that story? I actually was not aware of the Popeye story. I know you said you wanted to bring it up. I was just curious what it is. That's a genius move. In um, Different is Better. So Different is Better is, is releasing this September. So it's, it's a ways out still. It's available for pre-order though. If anyone wants to be ballsy, go on Amazon now and get your pre-order of Different is Better. It's, it's a book of marketing. And what I realized is there is a base framework that dis distinguishes successful marketing from marketing that's inevitably going to fail. And the framework is, I call it DAD. D for differentiate, A for attract, D, the last D, for direct, meaning it has to stand out, differentiate. It must be compelling, attractive to the audience you're targeting, and it must direct them to take the action you want. You know, we're, we're recording this right before the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is a couple of days away. I can't wait, actually. I don't know why I'm just excited just to be home and probably drink at old fashioned and uh, spend time with my wife watching football. I, I think it's awesome, but, but um, there's going to be, you know, these million multi-million dollar commercials. Didn't Corday this morning say it's, a, it's like 5 million bucks or something. I don't even think they're doing, I heard the last I heard, they're not going to do the commercials this year because oh, really, so the NBA has lost a ton of viewership. The uh, football NFL has lost a ton of viewership. So uh, le the last I heard, and, and I haven't dove into this myself, but the last I heard through other people was that they weren't going to do the big ads this year because they didn't wow. know if it was worth their investment, which is, that's really going to, I mean, uh, you know, that's one of the fun parts about it is to watch, watch these. Oh yeah. Uh, the know, the commercials, yeah. because they're so different. The point about those commercials, we'll see what happens this year, but in past years, they're different. Um, they're attractive but many of them don't have that last D. They don't direct us to do something. So many commercials like, oh, that was funny. What was that about? And I think that's the mistake. Those big companies can afford it. They're trying to build brand reputation. Us small businesses, if we try to emulate that, be funny, be, be compelling, but then not have any direction, that can be a costly fatal mistake. So you got to differentiate, attract, and direct. I, I wonder if the Popeye's ad, it's a get our attendees or whatever. You know, that's a, a form of a directive to get the chicken tenders. Yeah. I assume. Yeah. They had that. Yeah. So, so we need to do that. I'm actually surprised. I thought they were doing commercials. My assumption, this is just something my assumption is more people are watching TV uh, now. And when it comes to the Super Bowl, that there'll be more TVs playing it because instead of gathering your friend's house with 20 people, you're sitting home, which my then assumption is we're actually more engaged because if I'm watching the Super Bowl uh, at a friend's house with 20 people, I'm, I'm chit-chatting with my friends. I'm throwing back a beer. The commercial's on. I may not see it. But now I'm sitting at home, just myself and my, and my spouse. I may actually be glued to the TV and watch much the commercials. I thought they'd actually sell at a higher rate now because of that, but perhaps not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
I'll, I'll yeah, Google it. Look into that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it is really interesting. I, you know, I think when it comes to marketing in general, the, you know, I mean, when did, when did basically marketing explode with ad agencies and stuff? Uh, what was it like Mad Men was set? Was that in like the fifties? The that, that's when like real consumerism oh, yeah, yeah. started, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. What do you say? Yeah, I, I believe I was reading the most recent current research that the average American sees six to eight thousand ads or some kind of marketing per day. That's a logo. It's you know you drink coffee. There's logos all over. There's the ads you see on the internet, but we are inundated with it. It's yeah. it, 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 it's unbelievable. Yeah, and still growing. Yeah, well, and and back then, I mean, that was when um, you know you started really seeing like the push for. Uh, hey, buy this vacuum. It's going to make your life easier. Buy this yeah. appliance. It's going to make your life easier. And so, so it was kind of, it, it wasn't like a hard sell back then for because because there was only like <laughs> there was only one washer, uh, right? So it's either you had a washer, or you didn't have it. There wasn't like a million of them. And I think, you know, now we're way past that. Now we're now we're at the point where we're constantly inundated with ads, and they're getting really really good at targeting those ads and and coming up with these. Um, these brands and and it's i think that it's not that that it's not good when you come up with the ideas anymore because i think people come up with a lot of really really good genius ideas for marketing i just think that there's so much out there that in order to stand out you really have to like do something it has to be timely and then it also has to have like a a really meaty like hook to it or, yeah. or otherwise it just gets lost in the sea of all the other. Yeah. And, and you know, for small business, you also have to do it at most, almost no cost. Like that's the other element. Like yeah. you got no money, but the, the beautiful thing is the more constraints that are around us, it does trigger innovation. I think one technique we can use, I call it blend marketing is you look at something outside your industry and you see if you can translate back into your industry. So even this morning I was sitting there, I was, um, I'm, I write every morning from six to seven, Every morning I'm, I'm writing. That's when I'm off, I call off season. That's when I'm not writing a book. I'm just kind of keeping the motor idling, but still, you know, producing content, writing articles and stuff. Then when I'm in season, it's like four to five hours a day. So um, this morning I was writing and I have the radio on. It's the local radio station I've, I've listened to ever since I was a kid. And as I'm listening to it, I remembered an ad they used to run in the radio station uh, as a bumper sticker promotion. They'd say, come to the WDHA station, pick up your free bumper sticker, slap it on your car. And our crew is constantly driving around. If we spot you with a WDHA bumper sticker, you get the prize of the day. It's kind of this spotted in the wild type approach. Like, oh, that's a really interesting marketing idea. I wonder if I can translate a radio station marketing concept to an authorship. And that kind of triggered, um, can we put different is better in our readers' emails? Would they be willing to put in their email signatures? And is there a way for us to spot it in the wild, so to speak, and then recognize people because they put in their email signature in some capacity? I don't have the idea totally fleshed out, and maybe it won't turn into that idea. But but the goal here is, I think many people look at their own industry and say, well, everyone, you know, everyone does X. Everyone in the car wash industry has a sign on the road, and that's how you market. There's no alternative. I think what we need to do is look outside the industry. How can a car wash steal an idea from a radio station and slap bumper stickers in the car. You leave the car wash and says, you know, seeing the shiny cars. Cause I was just a Joe's car wash and they spot you in the wild. Now you get a free car wash. Like what 
what can they do from other industries? Yeah. One of the things that stands out um, recently, (laughs) and this sounds really stupid, but to me, it's like, it was like a huge thing. I was at the grocery store. Yeah. And I'm doing like my regular shopping list and everything. And I come across a sour cream and I go to reach for like the little, the sour cream thing. And then I see a squeezable sour cream and I can't tell you how excited I got by that. Um, <laughs> I, I know the way you're talking about it. Is it, is it is pr- predominantly a white daisy? Bag? Yep. Daisy uh, sour daisy. cream. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you know, people forget about this, but you know, this is something in, in, in school that, that I always thought about is packaging. I mean, that in of itself is, you know, you can do so much with just changing the package. You don't have to reinvent the wheel or change the product. Just think of better packaging, you know? I'm like, well, the the function. So we have that sour cream at home and it used to be, you know, someone comes in that little uh, pint plastic cup or larger. Someone takes a dollop out, flops it down. They get a little rice or something on the, on the spoon. They stick it right back in there. And now you got like this muck in your pint and that thing, um, you know, it it, it can, it can turn pretty quickly because it's exposed. Yeah. Ever since we use that thing, that lasts like a month. Oh, yeah, it lasts forever. It's great. Yeah, and if, yeah, it lasts for it, it lasts forever. We buy that stuff all the time now. As a result, it's a great functional improvement. This is um, I, I was interviewing Roger Dooley. I, I don't know when we broadcast this if that Roger Dooley at, uh, podcast will be live. No, it's it's coming up though. It'll be in the next couple of weeks. Okay, so then I'm encouraging everyone that's listening now. You gotta listen to Roger Dooley. This guy is wicked smart. He wrote a book called Friction. In Friction, he talks about all the kind of the slowdown points, the, the points in, in the experience that someone has with your product that, that causes problems, um, it slows them down, or frustration. If you remove the friction there, you can have a transaction, you can get preference over your competition. Like there's an opportunity if you remove friction in those capacities. But he goes, often... We're, we're so used to the, uh, the, the way things are that we, the consumer, don't even see the friction until someone relieves it. So like the sour cream, I'm looking, I'm like, oh, yeah, you, it sucks. I got, and I got to scoop out the little rice kernel, and, but that's just the way it's got to be. Someone, when someone said this way, you know, when someone said it doesn't have to be this way, that's when the game changed. Someone must have said, why is it to be this way? Yeah. Why not make it simpler? And they removed the friction, and I wouldn't be surprised if Daisy – is exploding in demand. Yeah. I don't know what brand we bought before, but we are loyal to that brand because of that convenience. Yeah. I, I know. I, I thought about that as well. And I wonder, I'm sure that somebody thought of it before, but I bet you because of the way that the dairy industry is, like there's standardized equipment and there's, there's standardized this and standardized that. And it was just like, ugh, do we really want to change the machinery and the packaging for, for something yeah. like that? You know? And then finally they were like, yeah, let's do it. You know? Um, yeah, and it must be a cost analysis too. Like, it may cost to convert, but the business we can potentially win might be, you know, outstrip that. You know? Oh, it, it's hand, I know it sounds so stupid, but hands down, that was one of the most exciting things that I've seen come in grocery for because you know, and it's not just getting uh, cross contamination with putting food in there. It's also once you use a metal spoon and you scoop the sour cream, the enzymes uh, start to act, and then. Um, you get like that puddle of you water, might. right? And so then every time you open it, you're like, oh, I yeah. got to strain the water out, you know? And so it's just, it's something so little, but uh, I just I thought that was, that was great that they, they did that. 
I remember that with um, beer uh, or, or any kind of uh, aluminum container. Do you remember, you might be too young for this, but do you remember when it was a pull tab? Like you pull a tab off and you just throw it oh, yeah. anywhere? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the problem was um, that became a real litter problem. People would peel the tab off and you just kind of flick it on the ground. Like what, what do you do with it? Some people that were conscious to the environment would actually, this what I would occasionally do, just drop it into your soda and now you're drinking it. It's a potential choking hazard. Because You would put it in the can? Full- back in the can? Yeah. We used to pull <laughs> a tab off and stick in the can and then you drink the can. That's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it wouldn't, I've never had a case where it came back out, but that was a, that was a potential risk. But like, what, what do you do with this thing? And it's interesting. Um, there's been studies, I can't remember which, it may have been friction. It may have also been in Roger Dooley's books, but basically to enact a behavior, if you want a certain behavior to happen, simply set it up to be the easiest path. So these cans, they made that tab that stays attached now pops it open and stays attached. People aren't going to try to lever that off and throw it away. The litter problem when it came to these tabs was almost eliminated. Roger Dooley was talking about 401ks. For many businesses, the 401k is an optional opt-in. He says the companies that are most successful in helping their employees save are an optional opt-out. Like you don't even have a choice to to opt in. You're opted in. Everyone that becomes an employee joins the 401k. You can totally sign out, but it's extra effort. So people are like, yeah, just do it. And they have these savings that the their contemporaries on the flip side don't have it. You know, I think it's an opportunity for us as business owners to, to consider what's the path we want our clients to follow, make that the easiest path. Yeah. I, I think too, it's a, um, it's a process with, with walking yourself through the entire process as a customer, yeah. regardless of what your service or product is like pretending you're a customer. Okay. Go through the process and then writing down like the pain points or where the friction is. Um, I mean, this is just a silly example, but I remember when uh, I used to do catering, I refused when we did hors d'oeuvres to put anything on a skewer, especially if it was a wedding, because, you know, you put chicken on a skewer, people take a bite, and then they're just walking around holding a skewer, waiting for one of the servers to come around with a tray and collect it or find a trash can or something. And I was like, no, that's so obnoxious. I've been to those weddings. I hate that. I don't want that. So it's like, okay, small hors d'oeuvre, clean, one bite, done. That's it, yeah. you know? And and so I, I think like, you know, if you can kind of use that same process of, of starting from the, the, the back and then working forward, it helps target those, uh, you know, figure out what those points are and then where you can, where you can reduce like the friction. In this. Yeah. I wonder what the secure is, if it was more convenient for the chef, it's easier just to, you know, get four pieces on there and they're thinking from the their side, like, oh, it's easier for me. But to your point, they're not thinking about the customer side. And so, you know, if you run the two in parallel, where's the customer go? With different is better. So as I was working on the cover designs, you know, Liz was very involved in that. And uh, Penguin, uh, Noah is my editor over there. He's giving me feedback and so forth. I fell in love with one particular design, but I knew that just because I like it doesn't mean it's gonna be the most successful. So we set up testing and this is the most thoroughly we've tested other titles and stuff in the past. This is the most thoroughly we did it. We had 10 uh, cover designs and we tested to an anonymous public. There's testing platforms out there. We use a thing called PicFu, which was good, but Google um, 
Google tests or Google, there's something Google survey, I think it was, was even better in giving feedback because now you have hundreds or we actually said for thousands of people that are just through their own voting process or just clicking on what they like. And it came very clear through this testing and different platforms and different ones, what the best cover design was. But here's the interesting thing. The subtitle of the book is marketing that gets noticed and gets results. I was like, that's a, that's a shitty subtitle. It's like so generic. I want a subtitle. It was uh, marketing greatness in three doable steps. I'm like, Oh, that is, has a ring to it. I love it. It's marketing greatness. So we tested it and that, that marketing gets noticed and gets results. Like that, that's like a throwaway, but we have to have it up there as a control. It won hands down. Mm. I mean, it got it hands down. And what maybe, I don't know the reason, because you can't interview these people, but I think the reason is marketing greatness. Like, what the, what the fuck does that mean? Like marketing greatness. I, I don't know. And three doable steps. Like where it, it was too confusing. It was too heady. I, as the author, know exactly what that means, but the consumer didn't. Yeah. We had to make it super simple. Seeing how the customer responds is absolutely critical, you know? It's really ironic that you bring this up because I had just put two ads up for us uh, on uh, Facebook and Instagram. And the, the two ads I designed, the one I looked at and I was like, I love this ad. I just love everything about it. The, yeah. the layout, the colors, and it pops. And I was like, this is great. And I thought that that would be the one that is performing better. And then I look, I looked at the stats data. I'm like... What is going on here? Like it's it not reverse. The, the reverse. The other one that was just like a, a more plain, and it was just looked like a notebook sheet of paper with a check mark. Yeah, and, and that was, and it has like our logo. I'm like, how is that doing? I don't get it, man. Like it's, it's wild when I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's you know, you analyze things too much and and try and and you know overdo it, and then you get in your own head, and it's like, it's, yeah, it's weird. I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm afraid of my own bias. Like, I like that subtitle so much. I almost said, let's ignore the 3,000 people that like the other one. And I'm going to go with the 400 that liked mine because I know better. Like, I, I really had that urge to go with what I liked. And so I start backfilling that emotional decision with logic. Well, the test is kind of biased. And, and if you saw it with the cover, because we just tested just the, just the title minus the cover, then you know, maybe you would, you'd understand why marketing greatness is there. And I started trying to justify my own head and uh, I had my own internal wake up call. I'm like, no, 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 go with the data that data talks, data speaks the truth. Ironically, as an aside, my forensics business, our tagline was data talks because when, when we're going to do these forensic investigations, people in trials lie. No surprise. I mean, a lie, a hand on the Bible, a lie. The data, it, it, it has no emotion. It has no bias. It's, the, it's just the facts, man. Yeah. And um, so that's why we said data talks. And sure enough, this, this data, this analytics, it talks. So we're doing it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so funny how, how you can, you know, but all your experience and knowledge says, yeah, this has got to be, you know, this has got to be it. And then you run the test and it's like, wait, what? Like, you know. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, that's the interesting thing about experience is um, going back to Penguin, when it comes to pricing books and so forth, there is one person that just says, this is the price. It's not on 
any analytics. It's all on experience and instinct, which maybe there's some value there, but I wonder if split testing was done with the book, if they, if they took the book and ran different prices, if you'd see there'd be a better sale rate. What, what if different is better sold for $99 a book? You know, no one does that. And therefore we don't even consider it. But what if we split tested and found out, wow, more people buy the book and they're more engaged in the book because of the cost point. I was talking with uh, this guy, Robert Glazer. He built a company called Acceleration Partners, um, wildly successful company. Um, he is also an author and, uh, I was talking to him. He goes, it's very peculiar how we, how people ascribe prices and value to things because you can put five years of effort in writing a book and you'll be lucky to sell it for 1999. He goes, you can put five hours into making a video, um, on the same ideas in the book and have a really crappily edited one grainy video and you can sell that for $200. It's the same content. It's actually worse, but because it's a video, it's a class. People ascribe a much higher value to it. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting that the correlation to the true value we extract and the value we're willing to associate things doesn't make logical sense. Well, I guess humans are not logical, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's countless examples I can think of, um, you know, stuff, uh, you know, I won't mention names cause I don't want to put anybody out there, but, there was a guy that you and I both know who had a product and and had multiple varieties of the product and then decided, you know who I'm talking about, who decided to cut it down to like one or two products and then- Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then one or two colors, right? It was, and then all of a sudden the sales skyrocketed. Skyrocketed. With less options. Yeah. yeah. You know? and, and, he, and he made the names more simple. So he went, so the product colors, you know, he was going to do any custom color you want and he said, no, I'm just going to do black and brown. He had all these different custom offers. He said, no, I'm just going to do these three or four. He, uh, he changed the names to basic <laughs> and advanced. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious. That's crazy. Exploded. Yeah. It, it just like two, two little things like that. It's, it's wild. Oh, you still there? They, can, they will be overwhelmed by choice and therefore paralyzed in their choice. The best choice becomes making no choice. I think it's documented in influence by Robert Cialdini. I'm not sure uh, if it was in that book, but they wrote about uh, a store, a food store that was giving samples. Researchers were giving samples of jelly and they had, I think 24 different jelly types, you know, the basic raspberry, blueberry, but then they kind of like kiwi and some exotic stuff that had um, when people would sample the different jellies, say you had a 10% close rate, meaning 10% of the people that sampled actually bought something. They then cut it down to, I think it was like four options or five options. This is the basics. And the close rate was now about 30% people sample. And they, 30% you know, increased two times. And um, the reason they believe is that when there's less choice, we feel more in control and we can be more specific. When there's more choice, we feel less in control and it's to our uh, benefit to delay deciding, to not decide at all. So less choice is better. And I wonder if our friend, who's an extraordinary guy, if, if what he did by reducing the choice made it much clearer, much more definitive for people to make a purchase decision as opposed to, I could do this, I could do that. You know, when I'm, I'm looking at buying a new car, I started this process six months ago. I won't do it. I won't, I won't make a decision for six more months. There's so many choices on cars out there. 
I'm overwhelmed. I was looking at, you know, I'm going to do a, a pickup truck likely. I looked at Chevy. I looked at Ford. Now I'm looking at a Honda because they redid the Ridge line and I don't really like it. Now I'm looking at, and I'm all over the place. Once I said, oh, I think I want to do a Ford. Now I'm like, should it be red or should it be blue or green or orange or the new serpentine? Color? Like it's so much. I'm like, oh, maybe just, let me just keep driving the, the, the beat up Durango with a dent in the side for a little bit, <laughs> a little yeah. bit longer. Yeah. Too much decision. Too much I, choice. I was actually, it's it's funny. I was actually going to mention cars when, when you were talking about too many choices because the, the whole reason that um, cars started making different models and different colors was, you know, early on when they were making uh, automobiles, there was no differentiation between uh, cars and companies. It was because it was basically right. one model. They all looked the same. And so then they were like, oh, that's where the marketing came. Oh, well, if we do this different, then, you know, we can market it and all this stuff. Now it's, it's, it's insane. I hate it. I, I, there's too many companies. There's too many. Each company has a sedan, has a truck. I wish that there was one company that was like, you know what? We're not going to make sedans. All we're going to do is trucks. We're, we're, yeah. we're truck co that's it. Boom. Like we're going to make the, the baddest ass trucks that are out there. And you know, like, Hey, I want yeah. a truck. I'm going to truck co, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause you, it's actually a great point. And that may be happening. I don't know if you know this Ford has dropped all sedans except for the Mustang. Um, yeah. and I think maybe they have one more, like the fusion. F-150 is um, the, their staple, right? Yeah. The 150, they're going to be all truck because they, they, I think they, they took uh, your suggestion and they're like, we, we got to be truck co. Yeah. The interesting thing is now with the, the rise of these electric cars, um, there's all these new startups Rivian, Nikola, like all, I, I mean, like there's so many, I typed in electric vehicles. There must be 15 new startups that are promising to release cars. You know, what's also interesting is the new model. When I say the new model of vehicle, but the new model of selling is sell it before you even make it. Um, so there's these companies, Tesla, I think started it in the car industry, but these companies saying, Hey, we're gonna come out of the car in three years, put down your deposit. Now they're, they're collecting all this money and some of them don't even have a viable option. I, I don't know if it was Nikola who makes this thing called the Badger, if they're the one, but one company was collecting all these, all these deposits. And then they said, well, we're not gonna make the car. <laughs> oh, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. we, we can't, we just can't make it. I don't know how they handled the money. They may have just kept it. It may be a, a little asterisk in the corner of the contract saying, you know, you're taking the risk if we don't make it. Yeah. So I'm looking at the Ford website and, um, you know, I'm looking at these pickup trucks and so forth. And then it pops up and it says the new Ford Mustang E or E mock or I don't know, whatever it was. A, it was, a, it's a, it's like a hybrid. Uh, I don't know what they call them anymore. Crossovers. I think they call it all electric, put down your deposit now. And I'm like, I'm in. And I sent my $500 in. By the way, the communication has been horrible. I've heard nothing since. All I got was one call from a dealer saying, hey, we have uh, Ford 150s for sale. I'm like, that's not, that's why I put my deposit oh, this down was, on. This is for uh, an E-Mustang? E-Mustang. Ooh, that sounds cool. Yeah. That's cool. But it's not really a Mustang. It's a crossover. I wish it was okay. a Mustang. It's a crossover. So it's a, it looks like a... I don't know. It's like every other crossover, kind of like a half, half SUV, half, sedan. half SUV. Yeah. Yeah. But it's cool. It's, it's cool looking. Um, my point is that by doing this early deposit, they were able to show great looking pictures that got me enthused. They had a real simple one click, one purchase. You know, when you buy a car, go to the dealer, it's a nightmare. It's four hours of nonsense. And, uh, 
this was now in seconds, I had this feeling, ooh, I'm on the list now. Now they're follow up. Like I said, it's been horrible. I haven't heard since. No updates on that thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where my money is. I may have to send in like a, a dispute with the credit card company. Um, <laughs> but but it's intriguing, this new form of marketing. Yeah. Uh, uh, GMC just did with the, the new electric Hummer. They're running commercials for a vehicle that's not going to be out for another year or so. Oh, wow. I didn't even know about that. The, have you seen the electric Hummer? No, I've seen the the Bronco. That looks cool. I like that. Looks I cool, like the dude. You got to see the electric Hummer. It's unbelievable. It's a thousand horsepower. It runs. Does it run for sixty seconds and on and then on yeah, one charge? It just dies. <laughs> yeah. It uh, it's so over the top. It, it has a uh, mechanism they call crab crawl. All the tires turn, so you can go now sideways and stop. Uh, dude, I I swear, I when I was five years old, I had that idea for cars. I was making stuff out of my constructs and I turned the wheel sideways and I was like, mom, how come all cars don't do this? And she's like, that's a really good idea. But well, I never understood go. how come it car, is a good idea. You know, how come a car doesn't do that? Oh, I got I got a look electric Hummer. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, there was a, uh, uh, I saw it today actually this morning when I was having my coffee, there was a, uh, an interview with Elon Musk Yeah. and this guy who's involved with manufacturing of cars his entire life, like ripped the quality of the model three apart and he was like, this is the equivalent to a Kia in the 90s. Not because you would notice it as a consumer, but somebody who's in manufacturing, the clearances aren't tight on yeah. the gaps. Uh, the paint was, they tested the paint in different spots and the paint was off by the thickness and stuff like that. So Elon Musk sat down with the guy and he was like, you know, the first thing he says is, I got to tell you, um, you were, you were right. And he was like, oh, and they had a whole conversation about it. And he explained to him the best time as a consumer to buy a vehicle is either in the very beginning or wait until after they ramp up production and then yeah. and then towards the end he was like because in that middle in that growth phase it is really really difficult to control the quality oh so the quality is usually better in the very beginning yeah so if you pre-order right they're making sure that everything is perfect interesting in the beginning and then once they start getting orders and they're like oh we got to ramp up. They start to ramp up and then things get lost in translation. And then they're, they see that that's happening and then they, they start to it. correct it. And then they get it under, under control. You know, the interesting thing about Tesla is uh, I've heard the same things that their quality ratings are very low compared to their contemporaries, but the enthusiasm is extremely high compared to their contemporaries. Someone buys a Tesla it means something about them, right? Because it's a cutting edge technology. It theoretically soon enough will be driving itself. It's so cutting edge that people have this exuberance about it and they're willing to overlook quality. I think that points to an opportunity for all business is I think the mistake is assuming we have to hit out of the park on everything. Like great quality, great service, great innovation, great everything. And the reality is you have to hit out of the park on one thing. Everything else needs to be in the park but it just needs to be in the park. Acceptable quality um, is acceptable if you have an extraordinary innovation or something that the early adopters want or something. I think we've got to pick one thing and crush on that one thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's wild because there are, there's fine lines when it comes to like deal breakers with people. And I think that that's, that's the line that you have to walk and find out, okay, like if, if, if you were going to make a car and like you said, you, you don't want to focus on everything at once because you, you'll do a poor, poor job on 
everything. Yeah. But if you focus, we're going to have the best paint job, right? And it's like, well, maybe that paint job is absolutely phenomenal, but then the engine falls apart after like 50,000 miles. It's like, okay, that's obviously going to be a deal breaker. So now you got, you know, you got to hit, there's certain thresholds for, for that. So I think it depends on obviously what the product is and what the industry is, but how do you know what your consumer values? And there may be some people that want the garage queen car. And they're like, it's all about the paint job. I'm going to drive this once or twice, but I'm just going to have this in the garage. It's going to be like a museum piece. Um, like, you know, there's certain consumers that will never buy a Tesla. Um, th they just want a good old reliable Toyota. And there are certain people that buy Tesla that would scoff at a Toyota. But you you got to be defined by something. You you can't be the Yuga where it's a piece of crap car where it's falling apart and they're differentiated. They were the cheapest price, but um, even that wasn't compelling anymore because they it wasn't so cheap that it was worth the risk. So so you you have to be in the ballpark in everything and exceptional in one thing. I think. Yeah, and I think that's where I think that's where Tesla did it right is you know, the whole market strategy when they came out. Cause he, he even talks about how difficult it is with car manufacturing. Oh, I can't it, imagine. Like sourcing all the parts and stuff. So now they, now they're at the, up the, they have the ability to make stuff in house. So like yeah. the, the interior, they, they, a lot of it, they make in house because they have better quality control. And That's they, the interesting thing as a business scales and you know, small business has to be uh, cautious about this, but as a business scales, it typically is better to be in control of all elements because you don't depend on other vendors, which can become a bottleneck. If they fail to deliver or fail to deliver on the quality you need, you're screwed. Small business, we don't, we can't be afforded that. We can't say, well, we're going to make every element. We have to depend on vendors. So then the fix to that is redundancy. I do. We got to rock. We got to get out of here. Yeah. 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 We got to get out of here. Let me do a recap first. I've been looking down because I've been jotting down all the things we talked about. So let me recap. We talked about, we started off with uh, GameStop and what's going on with Reddit. Um, and the irony of uh, Wall Street kind of fighting back legally, even though that's kind of their method. Uh, we talked about how Popeyes was marketing around that. We talked about car washes um, and how they can blend ads with radio stations. Uh, we still talked about your sour cream and Daisy. We talked about uh, tabs on cans, uh, how it prevented a litter program, uh, how it, be it became an effective preventative program toward litter by uh, making something frictionless. We talked about yokes i don't remember that uh we talked about uh pretend you're the customer the idea of, of having the customer experience by pretending you're the customer to see where it is split testing um the, the problem of too much choice and then we wrapped up on a conversation around electric vehicles everything from ford to uh wrapping up on tesla with elon musk i thought it was an interesting conversation yeah we hit a lot of points yeah, we hope you, our friends, thought that was an interesting conversation too and that you extracted value from it for your own business, for your own edification. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Please rate this podcast. It really helps us. Go to Rate Our Podcast as an R-A-T-E-O-U-R podcast and uh, make sure you subscribe when you're there. By rating us, honestly, you're helping us spread the word. It's the best way for other people to discover is through ratings and reviews. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode and we want to serve you. And that reminds me of the last thing. Send an email to askmike at mikemichalowitz.com. I know my last name is a tough one to spell. If you Google it, you'll find it. Askmike at mikemichalowitz.com. What's your big burning business question? I want to hear it. And I want to answer on one of our episodes. So send that in now. All right. I think we're done, Jay Sloan. Cool. All right, man. All right. I'll talk to you later. I'll see you guys later. Bye. 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 <laughs>